Here we go. Last episode of season four, the hundredth episode of the Relatively Normal podcast. This is great. This is awesome. And I tell you what, I have so much to discuss with you. And I have a great topic we're going to talk about this week. Thanks for hanging in there. I'm sorry it's been so long, but let's do this. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Relative Normal Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisant. Thank you so much for being a part of this show. As always, you can become a paid supporter of this show by going to anchor.fm, looking up Relatively Normal, and hitting that money button. And you can become a supporter for as little as 99 cents a month that is a deal that is a bargain thank you to the people who already support me whether financially or emotionally spiritually words actions i appreciate it all so it is very fitting that i am doing this show today friday end of the week you know, we've gotten through a lot, but a lot of changes happening for me in a short amount of time. Now, what we're going to go over in this show, what I'm going to go over, or I could say we, because this is, I, I like to bring you guys in. But what we're going to discuss is a way that I've kind of changed how I look at the world, changed how I look at work, family, play, all that stuff. And we're going to talk about reframing our attitudes, reframing how we see the world, reframing those things that are important in our life to make sure that we're always trying to see the positive. That does not mean, and I have to repeat, that does not mean Everything is going to be positive. But there's a way we can reframe certain things to help us more than they are. But before I get into that, I do want to mention a few things. So this is the last episode of season four. This is episode 100. Who would have thought episode 100? And I'm going to do another season, next season. And um, I know the last few episodes of this season have been really spread out, and I apologize about that. Life comes at you fast. It's summer, summer camps, the girls are home, vacations, work is busy. Oh, yeah, about work. So today is my final day at my job. I officially start a new job on Monday, and I am beyond excited. And if you go back a few episodes, probably not a few, 
I did an episode on leadership and mental health and leadership and leading with empathy, all that good stuff. And my guest was Chris Wells, who is the head of North American Claims with MSRI, Munich Re. And he was my old leader. And starting Monday, he'll be one of my current leaders. So I'm going back and working with Chris again. And um, I can't say enough kind words about him. He's a great leader. But on top of that, he is a great human being. But starting next season, I have decided that I'm going to put a schedule together. I'm going to sit down and actually, you know, work out my week, work out my month where I can put a show out like I used to either every week or every other week. Um, And I will have a new sponsor and I will do my best to be back on Empire Radio. And I'm just going to take my time to go back to the practical, pragmatic, structured Mark Paisant. Because that, that's what makes my brain happy. So that is what I'm going to do. So I hope that you forgive me for the lack of timeliness in my episodes. But I appreciate the fact that you're still listening. Um, there will be some changes to the show next season. I'll go ahead and explain that right now. For the first four seasons, I've really focused on the mental aspect of the show. I mean, it's relatively normal. It's about mental health and awareness, and that just makes sense. So I've kind of gone through a transition for the last eight, nine months where I've really focused on my physical health in a different way than I have in the past. I've been a runner for a long time and like to stay in shape. For a while there, I hit the gym a lot, but I decided last October, November to get a personal trainer and really focus on making my body strong while staying mentally strong. And something happened. Something happened where I started going to the gym, noticing changes in my body. Notice in changing in my mental health and noticing that I can combine the two. So next season, along with some other changes that will come later, I'll be doing a lot more focusing on bridging that gap between physical and mental health. There might be a few episodes strictly about physical health, how we can stay in shape, how we can stay motivated, how we can help others get in shape. But I really want to link the two together because I had never done that in my life. I had never been physically fit and mentally fit at the same time, even at my fittest, even when I was a soccer player, basketball player, even when I ran and lost a bunch of weight. I never really connected the two. I was always working on them individually. And in the past year, I finally found a way to work on them at the same time. So 
look forward to next season that will start somewhere in the fall and also look forward to a possible another podcast another show so stay tuned for all that so if you go back a few episodes you can probably hear some frustration some sadness some fear in my voice about everything that I was doing at work and then I did a show about finding my ice cream or, or eating my ice cream, always getting it, where I told the story of my daughter wanting ice cream at, at Disney World and me telling her that it's cold and dreary, we don't need ice cream. And her response is that she didn't care what kind of day it was. She wanted her ice cream. She knew what made her happy. And she didn't care what external forces were out there. She was going to get her ice cream and that set off a light bulb in me I started to think about how I could get my proverbial ice cream my figurative ice cream and what I needed to do to get out of my funk what I need to do to 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 challenge my burnout to you know to take it on and not run away from it And what I learned out of all this, what I figured out is I needed to reframe those things in my life. And I'm going to give you some specific examples in the second half of the show. But I kind of wanted to just talk about what reframing means. And there there is work to be done. But it basically... Reframing just challenges the negative thoughts and belief that contribute to your distress. It challenges those feelings you have of despair, of no way out, of I can't do this, and turns them into, hey, I can do this, and there's a way for me to do this. But it, it, it's easier said than done. We have to learn to recognize that distorted thinking. We have to learn to look at things from the big picture, from the outside looking in. Sometimes we have to look outside of our bodies, talk to other people, see why they can find pleasure and peace in what they do, what tools they use. Because when we do that, when we actively work to change these thoughts, We can be more positive, more realistic. We can feel more resilient. We can feel optimistic. All of this in the face of stress. So, there's a big word for this. It's called cognitive reframing. And then there's cognitive restructuring. But... I'm going to talk specifically about reframing. And I will give you a quick example, and then we'll get into some more, some specific examples at the, after the break. So my example was, or, or the, the biggest example, is how I reframed work. And I think a lot of people can use this a lot of people it's going to take a lot of work 
It might take therapy. I'm always an advocate for therapy. It might take, you know, sitting down with a loved one, sitting down with the group. But I know a lot of people, and there's, the, there's you know, that, that quote, you know, if you uh, find a job that you love, you'll never work a day in your life or something like that. I know I messed that up. Or do what you love, you never work a day in your life. Can we be honest for a second? Can I keep it 100 with you? Can I keep it a buck? As the um, young Thundercats say, I guess. That is probably true for a small percentage of the working population. I mean, think about, that means that everyone needs to find a job that they love and do it. I mean, I don't know how many gardeners we'd have, people who love to garden. You know, everybody would be a basketball player. Everybody would play baseball, golf. Like, it's impossible to think that everyone can find something they love and do it for the rest of their life and get paid for it. Now, can we work a job and eventually find parts of it that we like? We can like our managers. We can like the people we work with. We can like the company. We can like all these things. But that doesn't mean it has to be something we love. So why not reframe that? Why not look at your job as a place where you go to make money so you can do the things you like to do. Why not? I mean, seriously, why not? I mean, does it sound crazy? Does it sound crazy that we can just use our jobs to make money and then go home and take care of our families? I mean, is that a bad thing? Is that a horrible thing? I mean, a lot of companies are out here that will pay you as little as possible to try to get the most out of you. But we never really talk about that, do we? Or at least in my circles, we don't talk about it a lot. But here's the thing. What is wrong with just using your job for what it's worth. You know, there is a podcaster on LinkedIn. Her name is Jessie Hempel, and she has a podcast called Hello Monday. And I've listened to a few of the episodes, and the first episode she had on there was one that kind of drew me into this, um, where... We want to tell kids nowadays, you know, work hard in school and then find a job that you're really going to love and you'll be good. On the second episode of that show, and I will link it in this show, she talked to Elizabeth Gilbert on the differences between career versus calling and if you don't know who Elizabeth Gilbert is she wrote the book Eat Pray Love 
and City of Girls and Big Magic. But what she talked about was knowing the difference between a calling and a career. A career does not have to be a calling. It can be something that you're good at or you're not good at, but you just make money doing it and do it for as long as you need to get a retirement plan out of it and be able to retire. Your calling doesn't have to be your work. And it's funny, I was having this conversation with my wife about if we need our career or our job to mean much to us. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want people to think of it the wrong way. I don't want people to say that Mark just works in jobs to pay the bills. Listen, I've, I'm in an industry that I never thought I'd be in, and I've been in it for almost two decades now. And I really kind of love the industry I'm in. Do I love certain parts of it? No. Do I love the customer service part of it? Yes, I do. I love dealing with customers. I love helping customers out. Do I love some of the red tape? No. Do I love the fact that once people get to a certain level, they forget about the little guy? Yes. Do I think that there is, you know, a boys club in the industry that I work in? Of course. Do I think there's a lack of diversity and inclusion? Of course, yes. And those are all the things that I work every day to remedy. But... We don't have to go to work every day to be inspired. What? Uh, On this episode, and I'm going to have to go back and and really listen to it again because it was such a good episode. What Miss Gilbert was talking about was finding our own calling and making it our hobby. Maybe making it a, a side hustle. But using work for what it's there for and then separating our calling from it and being able to control our calling. It is a really good episode. You know, for the longest time, I forgot about that episode and those differences. But we can reframe how we look at work. And with hard work and with, like I said, therapy or counseling or something, you'll you'll start to see that that 6 p.m. anxiety on Sunday nights before Mondays will slowly start to go away. You'll see, oh, I'm, I really don't want to go into the office today. I don't know if they'll let me take a mental health day. You'll see that anxiety about asking for a day off slowly start to go away. But like I said, with anything in life, it takes work. If you're a person who has anxiety about work, you're nervous about your job performance, you're not good in social situations, you know, it's going to take some work. But if you're a person that's finding you're burnt out, if you're a person that's finding that you're stressed and you just can't get anything done and you don't know really what you need to do with work, maybe it's time that you sit down and think about what work really means to you. Maybe you sit down and write down why work stresses you out. What can you do for it not to stress you out? And how you can work to reframe your attitudes about work. 
and it may open your eyes to maybe there's something else you need to do or maybe you need to find a hobby that is your calling. My calling right now is helping people with their mental health and taking care of my physical health. That's my calling. You know what work does? Work brings me happiness sometimes, but sometimes I get burnt out. So after the break, we'll come back with a few other examples of how we can reframe those things around us. I'll see you in a little bit. We are back on the final show of the fourth season of the Relatively Normal Podcast, and we're talking about reframing. So I talked about careers and our work earlier in the show. So now, without further ado, I want to talk about some other examples of how we can reframe. And I've kind of talked about my physical fitness, going to the gym a little more. And one of the things that I've, I guess this is another personal example, but I think we can all kind of get something from this, is that you see a lot of people at the gym and they have mirrors everywhere and you see people recording themselves. And if you follow me on Instagram, on my fitness Instagram, Paysant Fitness or Coach Paysant Fitness, you'll see I've, I've put a lot of shirtless photos, photos of my progress. And there's a lot of people that see vanity in that. There's a lot of people that see, oh, this person is just into themselves. And if anybody knows me personally, you can know, you know that there's nothing farther from the truth than, you know, me being into myself. But... There is a way you can look at it, and I've started to look at it this way because it is true. It is very true. A lot of those people in the gym, a good portion of them were just like me 10 years ago or more like 12 years ago. Overweight, out of shape, ate too much, drank too much. And they've all come a long way. And the good thing about the gym is you see people in different phases of their fitness journey. Some in a weight loss journey, some in a strength journey, some in a cardio journey. But you see them in different phases. You see people on their first day. You see people on their 30th day, their third month, their sixth month, their 10 year. But a lot of those people who take photos or look at themselves in the mirror are looking at the results of their hard work. They're seeing all the work they've been doing pay off. 
you know, at no point, or it would be very hard for us to see a person that was diagnosed with ADHD or dyslexia or a learning disability who gets all the way through college, graduates, you know, goes to post or graduate school, gets a good job. We wouldn't call them vain if they talked about or they were happy with all the work that they did to get through any kind of learning disability or just anybody in general. We wouldn't call them vain if they worked hard to get educated and to get a good job. And it's the same way we have to look at people who take care of their physical health. Now, I am not saying there are not some vain people in this world. But here's something that's a little personal, but I want you to know this. And everybody knows I'm in therapy every two weeks. I have a great therapist. And she asked me about my fitness journey. And I gave her some updates. I told her, hey, you know, I've, I've gained this much muscle. I, I feel good. My clothes fit differently. I just feel overall stronger and healthier. And this is the first time I felt like ever been in this type of shape in my life. And I was a college athlete. But this is the best shape I've ever been in in my life. And she asked me, when you look at yourself in the mirror, do you tell yourself you look good? I was like, no, like why? I, I don't, that's, that's not me. I would never, I, I, I can't do that. She asked me, why not? Why can't you look at yourself, understand all the hard work you went out and you got a personal trainer, you paid money for someone to push you past your limits, and you have passed the test. You have done what you want to do. Why can't you give yourself that credit? Why can't you be happy for yourself? Why can't you look in the mirror and say, I've worked hard and I look like this? So I'm going to ask you the same thing. If you've worked hard at something, if there are results that you can see, results that you can acknowledge, are you giving yourself the proper credit? Or do you think that's self-indulging or vain? Because I bet you can reframe that. You can tell yourself, good job. You look great. You did great. You, you are exactly where you wanted to be. And also reframing working out. For those people who find it hard to work out, let's throw out that phrase working out and let's use training instead. If you're taking continuing education, if you're learning more about your trade, about the work you do, you're training. So instead of working out, you're training. You're training to be a better person, a better individual, healthier. Just like work, we can reframe that to be a means to live. We can reframe working out just to be training. And on that same, on that same plane, on that same highway, that same road, that same thing, how we look at food. 
this might be the biggest reframing job I've ever done in my life because like I've mentioned before I was addicted to food there is nothing in this world I have been addicted to not a narcotic not a drug not an over-the-counter medicine not anything the only thing I've been addicted to in my life is food I've been addicted to having to eat Chinese food almost every day I've been addicted to sweets I've been addicted to every hamburgers, hot dog. I was addicted to Big Macs once. I had to have it. I would go out of my way to find enough change, anything in my pocket to go drive and get a Big Mac, large fry, a, was it a Coke I used to drink back then? I don't know if it was a Coke or a sweet tea. And apple pie. Oh my goodness. I don't even know what would happen if I ate that meal now. I'm, <laughs> I might be in, in, in a, a food coma, get the itis or throw up. I don't know. But I didn't look at food as the thing that fuels our bodies. I didn't look at water as basically the equivalent to gas in your car. I didn't look at the things that made my body run, made me grow stronger as fuel. I would just throw anything in my body. And anybody that that was like me that had a very high metabolism, that used to just throw all kinds of junk food, gummy bears, french fries, ice cream, hamburgers, whatever, fried chicken, oh my god, fried chicken. You know, once you get to a certain age and that metabolism goes away, you really have to start being intentional with what you put in your body. Because if you don't, you will end up like I was. Overweight, swollen joints, possibly pre-diabetic, possible high blood pressure. You know, I mean, I could not walk out of the house without sweating there was so much just built up fat and sodium in my body and I felt horrible I tried to play it off by just getting larger and larger clothes until I started really looking at food as fuel and there's a thing now where people can count macros, the proteins, the fats, the carbs you need each day to maintain, lose, or gain weight. And that really puts things into perspective. I just looked at the type of food I was putting in my body. And I noticed I wasn't getting enough protein. And I started to supplement my protein, meal prep. And now the last probably two or three weeks, I'm starting to see how my body's reacting to actually getting the right amount of protein. So I reframed how I looked at food, how I looked at my meals, how I looked at when I ate as fueling my body so I can be prepared to work out and be the best version of myself. And how we look at sleep, how we look at downtime, How we look at vegging out on the couch. How we look at just being a couch potato. This is one of the hardest ones for me. I'll be honest with you right now. I don't get enough sleep. 
I need to get more sleep. I probably could use some more downtime, but in my head, you know, binge watching a show, scrolling through Instagram or whatever, like just being unproductive is not good for me. But we can reframe sleep in downtime as recharging and recovery and possibly decompressing. This is my wife's big thing and this is one of the things that we can't see eye to eye on because she can come home from a busy day at work, from a tough day at work, and she can go sit down and just decompress for 30 minutes. She can just veg out on TV, watch a show for an hour, and that's her decompression. It's very hard for me to do that because I feel like I have to be up doing the laundry, you know, making dinner, uh, doing the dishes, you know, mowing the lawn, cleaning the house, organizing my desk. I feel like I need to be doing something to be productive. And I need to work on just finding a way to see downtime and to see sleep as recovery and recharging. I mean, there's been plenty of nights in the last two weeks or three weeks we were on vacation for one of them where I have been exhausted, but I've seen a pile of laundry and I've decided I need to fold these before I go to bed. I can't waste my time with sleep. It's like that laundry isn't going anywhere. Sometimes it's not even needed for the next day. I just see it and I have to do it. So I'm saying right here on the 100th show, of the Relative Normal Podcast, I'm going to work on reframing my recovery and my recharge time because I need that for me. I'm up at 4 a.m. almost every morning to get to the gym by 5. And I need to make sure I'm taking care of that. And the last example I want to use, <laughs> and this is one that I was having a discussion with a coworker about. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. And I'm going to start it off by asking a question. How good are you while taking compliments? Are you good at taking compliments? You're probably great at giving them. But let me ask you a question. When someone comes to you and says, oh, that is a great dress. That's a great suit. I love that shirt you have on. Does that make you feel awkward? How about when your boss stops you in the middle of a meeting and says, I tell you what, you blew the socks off of us. You, and I know no one says that, but I, come on, just give me that but you did a great job. This is an unbelievable presentation. This is an unbelievable project. You deserve so much credit. Thank you so much. How many people listening to this would say, thank you, I appreciate it. I really worked hard on it, and I'm glad you see it that way. Or how many would you say, oh, stop it. No, it, it was nothing. That You're just being nice. Like, How many of you would invalidate yourselves 
would feel awkward receiving compliments? Why is that? So how, how can we reframe receiving compliments? How can we reframe re receiving positive recognition? How about we reframe it as either deserved or overdue recognition? Think about the work you're doing right now. Think about whatever work you're doing in your life. And think about how hard you're working on it. If you're a perfectionist, which isn't always a great thing, but think about how much time and effort you're putting into making that presentation, that process, that project, whatever, be exactly what others want it to be and what you want it to be. And think about how nice it would be to get that recognition right now. Someone said, I see you working hard. I'm going to leave you alone. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great work. I believe in you. But that doesn't always come. People are quick to receive and believe critical and constructive feedback. They are quick to believe this person thinks I did something incorrectly or they see an opportunity in the work I've done. You know what? They're right. I need to go back to the drawing board. I, God, I, I messed up. However, on the flip side, a lot of us won't take positive feedback as well. You know what? You did exactly what I wanted you to do, what I needed you to do, and for that, I thank you. You are an asset to this team. Now, a lot of you listening to this are like, hey, there's no boss in my company or no boss I've had that would say it like that to me. Guess what? I would. And I literally tell people that. I literally tell people when they do a good job because I know they don't hear it enough. And people, I can honestly say, people probably get frustrated with how much recognition, motivation, inspirational things I say to people but I know that people don't hear it enough people don't hear good job great job you're an asset to the team you're appreciated they don't hear that enough so I want to tell them that great example and if you're a runner you should probably you know, try 6 a.m. run products. And, and I had the pleasure of being on their podcast once with Hami, who's the CEO. And one thing he's talked about, and we talked about a little bit too, is for runners, we invalidate what we do a lot. Because as, as run, people who are, you know, not just, you know, casual runners, but people who are um, runners that, that really, and I don't want to sound, you know, conceited when I, when I say this, but people who are, you know, they don't just do it casually. They'll say things like this. Somebody, uh, and I've done this before. Back in my old house, I used to finish up a run. And I had this one path that I would run in, up and back, and it was four and a half miles. Really good, hilly run. Really good workout. And every time I get back home, if someone were to ask me, hey, how far did you run today? Oh, I just got four and a half miles. I just 
got four and a half miles. Now people need to understand four and a half miles is four and a half miles further than probably 90% of the population that day. And I heard it on his podcast today, on the 6 a.m. Run podcast. I heard he was talking about how he just ran three miles. And I think I'm going to text him after this and, and tell him about it. But why do we frame it in that way? I don't care if you run half a mile, a mile, two miles. You got out. You put on shoes. You said, I'm going to get better today. And you went out and ran. Congratulations. I was about to curse, but I didn't. (laughs) Congratulations. You should be happy. That's a great thing. You did awesome. You did so well. Or on the flip side of it, a lot of people say, I got my 10 miles in, but it was... Man, it was slow today. I only ran a 11, 11 uh, minute mile, but I ran 10. It's like, are you kidding me? You did 10 miles and, and you're beating yourself up because you ran an 11 minute mile? I mean, are we for real right now? Are we doing this? So reframe compliments as deserved or overdue recognition and that goes for internal compliments too make sure you tell yourself good job you know what i did this morning i woke up at 4 30 a little late uh wasn't happy about that got to the gym by five started working out 5 15 worked out for about an hour and a half came home got some fluids and i ran for three miles to get my cardio in all before 8 o'clock this morning, all before 8.15 this morning. So before most of the world woke up, I had not only driven to the gym, worked out, I had also gotten my cardio in. I tell you what, that's good shit right there. And I did curse that time. If anybody else did that, if anybody else told me, if one of my neighbors came over and had a conversation with me and said, hey, yeah, before 8 o'clock this morning, I did what you did. I'd be like, great freaking job. So I hope you can take something from this, reframe our attitudes. It's going to take work. It takes time. Text me. Let's talk about it. Email the show. Go to IG and look up Coach Paysant Fitness and message me and let's talk about it. Look up the Relatively Normal Podcast on Instagram. Let's talk about it. Let's reframe it. Let's make each other better. Thank you so much for being a part of this fourth season. It's been so much fun. I have big plans for season five. I have big plans for the near future that I want to tell you about soon. But I really appreciate all of you. If no one else has told you today that you're doing an awesome job, guess what? You're doing an awesome job. And now off to my new job and off to a new calling. Wink, wink. I don't know, was that too much? It may have been too much. But listen, everybody, I'm going to be for real for a second because I love this show. I love doing it. 
I'm going to make sure I do it in a more structured way next, next season because it makes me happy. This is my calling. So find your calling. If something is stressing you out, try to reframe it. And we'll talk to you later. Relatively Normal is written, produced, and edited by me, Mark Paisant. And if you haven't heard, there is a brand new way to ask for help with the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. So if you or someone you know is in crisis, please contact 988 over the phone or by text. And I think it should be mentioned right now that a lot of women in our country need our allyship with the recent Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. I will say it now. I will say it tomorrow. I'll say it forever. Abortion is health care. Let's be there for our women. <laughs>